Hi, welcome to Off Script. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, uh, coronavirus. <laughs> again. Again. <laughs> Back again this week. Again? You mean all there is? Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're we're talking about mostly COVID-19. We did actually watch a movie for this one. Uh, the movie is Goodfellas. Completely offbeat, but I'm going to be honest, we were a little stunned by some news we've heard recently. We want to jump right into that first. So we'll get into all of that goodness. And before we get to coronavirus and everything that's been going on, uh, Andy, how's things going over there, man? You holding out okay? You're self-quarantining, I'm doing good. right? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm used to, I work from home most of the time as it is. Um, and I'm a bit of a home buddy any, anyways, and I work on online. So it, it's not too much of an adjustment for me. Um, just means I can't hang out at a Starbucks or other coffee shop. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm freelancing mostly nowadays, and outside of some gigs falling through, I've also had some gigs pick up people who want to do podcasts and video and digital media stuff that I normally do in the day to day are are very excited to keep things rolling or to get things rolling now that they can't leave and they can't get out and do business in person. Suddenly, oh hey, this newfangled millennial stuff might be the way to do business, and that's all well and good. But Andy, I'm so distracted. Oh my god, I can't focus at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and a big part of the reason of that is because of the news. And we'll get into that in a second. We have one story before we jump into the news. Um, bit of an off script kind of addendum here, a follow up to something that happened previously. A new Dracula movie in the works as Universal remakes its MonsterVerse. This is an exclusive story out of the Hollywood Reporter. Uh, on hot off the heels of uh, The Invisible Man, which is in theaters. Just a few weeks ago, before all the movie theaters stopped being open. <laughs> before cinema died. And we'll talk, to that, we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, we talked about on the show, after seeing The Invisible Man, that maybe this will be kind of a, a reemergence of this universal monster universe that they wanted to get going based on old universal movie monsters. The Invisible Man, Frankenstein, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, The Mummy, those kind of things. They had tried to do it with Tom, Tom Cruise's The Mummy, and it totally flopped, but this new Invisible Man came out... And did pretty well on a pretty low budget. Andy, what do you know about this story? Um, right. Just as you said, coming off the success of The Invisible Man, which uh, had made over $100 million on a $7 million budget, um, Universal has agreed to go forward with its, uh, not necessarily its universe, but with the next installment, which is going to st- focus on Dracula. Um, and while... A number of studio, studios, any studio could kind of do it. Uh, Blumhouse has uh, the first look deal, so they get the first crack at it. And since they did such a good job with uh, Invisible Man, and they, they do a good job with a lot of their horror. Some of their horror flops, but it also, you know, when it costs five to seven million dollars, it doesn't really matter. Um, so they're going to have the first crack at, at Dracula. And, you know, as good as in as much as I enjoyed Invisible Man, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, and it seems smart. Uh, Universal executives apparently have been telling filmmakers that storytelling is the star of the show here. Rather than hearing... Imagine that. um, Crazy, right? Yeah, rather than hear pitches about how this movie is going to tie into this movie and how you can make the Frankenstein off the back of the mummy. What they're doing is star and that star, right? They said, quote, it's a best idea wins approach, which is wild. And they're having the filmmakers just find the individual stories. And when somebody comes to them and says, hey, I have this really cool idea for... Dracula or Frankenstein or any of those old so-and-sos, um, that's probably what they're going to go with, whichever one seems to stand best on its own. Tying those together, I'm sure they'll figure that out. But, I mean, that seems like a pretty wise move, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I, I think it's a smart move. And uh, the film is going to be directed by uh, Karen Kasama, who uh, did Destroyer, which we didn't watch on, on this show, but it was the, uh, the Nicole Kidman where she's... Uh, she's a a cop or a police officer with like a shady past, something like that. It was, it was, I think an overlooked, but, but good film. Um, so she's going to be directing this. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. I guess we're going to see what it's about. Uh, I'm, I'm not, I don't know. I'm not super excited about it. I'm specifically not excited about it being Frankenstein or Frankenstein Dracula of all things. I'd rather they do something like Frankenstein or, Jekyll and Hyde, just a little bit more, a <coughs> little bit more offbeat. I feel like Dracula's too, there's too much potential for it to be like too hokey and too cheesy, you know? Yeah, I think there is a real challenge. Just like the Invisible Man, like how do you make that, which if you looked at the the older um, films, it's how do you make that in in, 20, in 2020? Like uh, 
Dracula, the original, is from 1931. How do you update that? Because vampires have been done. Like, we've done vampires to death. They were, they were a little overdone. But Dracula specifically, you know, only other than Bram Stoker's Dracula, which has some really high points and some really low low points, um, yeah, it hasn't really been done. And I think it's a real challenge to bring, like, bring a compelling story, bring that character into the 21st century. Sure. Uh, they've definitely had some misses along the way, but this Invisible Man movie was pretty good. I guess we're cautiously optimistic about Dracula, right? How, how do you feel about it? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Mm, me too. <laughs> Speaking of things I'm looking forward to, uh, movies being in theaters would be exciting <laughs> again. Uh, be. Do we need to kick this off with the... the, the, the Death of Cinema jingle, or do you want to just <laughs> no, jump right abso- into it? No, absolutely. <laughs> if ever there was a time. So, um... This is the Death of Cinema. Where do we... Where do we get started with this, Andy? Um, we've been... We've had two weeks to figure out how the hell we're going to talk about movies just closing left and right, and theaters shutting down, and movies getting pushed back. We've got articles and lists of of information for you in case you haven't been keeping up uh what's the best place to get started here well i i think to just kind of summarize the backstory so what's happened is uh as the coronavirus outbreak has spread pretty much all over the world especially here in the u.s um many businesses are having to shut down for weeks if not months and one of those of course has been theaters uh, which are were on really thin ice uh, to begin with, and and I mean we, we don't know when they're going to reopen. We don't know when it's going to be safe for large crowds to gather again. Um, it could be a few weeks, a few months. Uh, we really don't know. And this is um, you know we're always talking about disruptive industries, disruptive players like uh, Netflix or you know other other things like that. Um, this is a massive disruption, uh, unlike anyone has ever seen. In you know, in my uh, short 30, 36 years, um, but it's it's changing and change is you know in some ways it's gonna it's gonna be good and change in other ways it's gonna be bad for some people. But there's a lot happening uh, to talk about. Um, Zach, where should we start? I guess uh, the the place we should probably start. Let's let's earmark this a little bit. Let's date ourselves here. Let's 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 imagine we're listening back a year from now, which we never really listen back to our old episodes that far back. But in case you don't know where we're at in life, in case you don't know where we are, let's just briefly cover this coronavirus thing. You've been keeping track of it. It has obviously hit the United States. Uh, it's a big deal here. A lot of businesses are closed, like you said. And that's pretty much where we're at. It seems like we're going to be doing this for a little while, right? Like uh, the, the, you, like I said, you, you've been keeping up with this stuff. I kind of just consult you. And, and Andy, tell me what's going on with coronavirus news. Sure, sure. Yeah. How, how, how long are we thinking this might be a problem for us? Well, if, if you look at... Uh, so China just opened 500 uh, theaters, which is only a small amount. Um, but that, they've been on lockdown for about two months. So that could be a, a guide of when... Um, theaters could reopen um but i think as as far as as cinema there's a number of things going on there's theater there's film delays there's things that were supposed to come out that have been either delayed or taken off the slate entirely um there's the kind of advent of early releases for a number of these things or things that came out but they're they've gone to streaming and then also of course just what's going to happen with theaters sure so let's start with movies that are getting delayed. I think the first really big one we had was No Time to Die. The new James Bond film was pushed back a few weeks ago. We talked about it on the show, and I remember being surprised. I was like, man, that's really surprising. They must they must be scared of their marketing. They must not have done a very good job because there's no way this coronavirus thing is going to slow down James Bond. That's just about what I said. And now I come to you with my hat in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> just shamed and broken uh, in self-quarantine to say that uh, every other big movie theater distributor seems to feel the same way, right? I mean, just across the board, everybody is moving stuff back or or indefinitely postponing until further notice, right? Yes, two things are happening. Either a property is not that big of a deal and they're just putting it straight onto a video-on-demand service or it is a good property that they don't want to miss out. You know, like that you don't want to put James Bond on on streaming right now. It's it's definitely something that deserves a theatrical experience. So you're either seeing a big delay or 
to the other thing. And it, it's what's uncertain is some of this stuff has no new dates. Like James Bond does. It's going to be released in November. Wonder Woman has also been pushed back uh, to August. But some things, th- who knows? Like with the, the, the running joke, of course, is New Mutants, which has been delayed two, <laughs> two years, has somehow been <laughs> cursed. And it is it was supposed to come out next week. That movie was made in 2017. <laughs> it hasn't seen the light of day yet. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, uh, it's, me, it's truly cursed. Let me slide this at you. Let me try this on for size. What do you think of this? I'll roll down this list. L- let me just, let's just get them all out there for the people yeah, yeah. at home who want to hear it. And then let's go back and talk about some of the bigger ones. All right. Let's just, are you cool with that? Yeah, that sounds good. Films that have been delayed because of coronavirus. Here it is. Wonder Woman 1984, No Time to Die, James Bond, uh, Black Widow, Minions, The Rise of Gru, A Quiet, a Quiet Place Part 2, F9, Fast and the Furious, Mulan, and other Disney live-action films, The New Mutants, Spiral, David Attenborough, Life on Our Planet, uh, The Artist's Wife, I don't, I don't know what that is, uh, In the Heights, Les Miserables, Peter Rabbit 2, Scoob got delayed. Uh, I, that, that's only some of them. This doesn't even have all of them. There's more. <laughs> Antlers got delayed, I know. Uh, Antebellum got delayed. Uh, man, everything is getting delayed. There's there's a whole other list of other ones on here that are not quite as big, but I think those are the large ones. That is nothing to scoff at. That is a lot of, of movies. That is a mm-hmm. lot of box office tickets. That is a lot of lot of dollars. And what's interesting is things like uh, Vivarium, uh, the film with Imogen Poots and uh, Jesse Eisenberg. Its cinema release has been entirely canceled, and it's move to a march 27th day and date online release like that is just it's crazy um also the thing that a lot of people aren't talking about is a number of film productions and and tv show productions have also been put on hold so what that means is that not only are current finished films delayed things that should be coming out maybe in the middle of next year or next summer are now in question and there's uh, i was listening to uh, another podcast um uh, that variety does where they said we may get to a point of, of a content drought because yeah. all these shows have been put on hiatus. Sure. And I know a lot of people sitting at home are probably thinking to themselves, well, I have podcasts and I have Netflix and I have Hulu and there's a ton of old stuff to watch on there. Thank God. Um, but at the same time, like that's still going to affect larger industries, you know, um, movie theaters are going to be hurting from all of this, uh, uh, specifically theaters that have already shut their doors and are currently closed. I know, AMC, uh, Cinemark, and Regal, the three largest theater chains in, in the world, are all currently closed. Uh, they, they, they tried to say, hey, we're going to knock it down to only 50 people in a theater at first, and then we're closing some. Um, but those are completely done, and the UK cinema chains are closed. And, and I'm not sure what exactly they're going to be opening back up to. You know what I mean? Yes. I mean, even when they do open, I mean, it's seeing how the outbreak goes people are still going to be cautious people are going to be you know it's it's like planes after 9-11 it, it's going to be hesitant and again the like what what does that mean for the theater industry they were they were barely hanging on and now you're looking at two months of, without revenue yeah and that's not nothing and even when we get back in the swing of things right people are still going to be paranoid they're not going to want to go out they're definitely not going to want to go blow 10 bucks on popcorn because a lot of people are trying to figure out how they're going to pay rent right now or their mortgage right. if that's what you're into um, I, I don't know what that landscape's going to be like when, when it gets back in, you know, it's going to take a while for these movies to get back into theaters. I don't know what they're going to run in the meantime. Like I, I, I don't yeah, know. We, we, we don't have answers here. We have lots and lots of questions, sure. uh, but yes, but what we know is things are going to change. And one of, one of the things that we've talked about with all this, uh, straight to video or straight to streaming, uh, for a number of these new films, I, uh, that's going to affect the release window, which has always been a really kind of sacred thing to theaters. They've demanded to always have a 90 day window between, uh, theater, theatrical release and home release. And, Studios have fought to, they want to get that smaller. They want to get that, you know, 30 days, 40 days, 60 days, somewhere around there. Um, and the theaters have always lobbied strongly against it. But now they, they're they having to do it because of the outbreak. And then they're going to be able to argue because now they're going to have the, the day and date released at it. And they'll, they're going to be able to say, well, it, we really don't need to be holding it 90 days, maybe 30, 40, maybe 40 days. So that's going to that's gonna be a big change. Like the release window is never going to be the same. Which is a fascinating thing, by the way. Consider that that the big reason in the age of streaming services that movie the- movies are still sitting in movie theaters for 
a couple of months at a time before they come out to where you can see them at home is because of theater chain distributors. Uh, and, and now that those are out of the chain for a couple of months, it might shift the landscape a bit. I, I mean, it's certainly easy to look at Disney Plus, right? Disney has dumped Onward on their already i think for rental right which we saw weeks ago and and yeah, frozen we, 2 was immediately announced to be available on disney plus way yeah. earlier than anticipated we saw i mean that was the last film we, re- we reviewed so that was literally dumped not dumped but it was made available for rental two weeks after a theatrical release like that's nuts and it, and it will be available on disney plus next week so you're yeah. talking that's a four-week release window from theater to um to, to in-home streaming Right, um, which, is, which is nuts. And obviously these are incredible circumstances, which hopefully won't be repeated anytime soon. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it's unprecedented. Definitely. Which by the way, before we keep going with this onward uh, for rental at home, eh, maybe not onward for free on Disney plus definitely worth a watch. Just my humble opinion. Yeah, no, same. I'm definitely yeah. going to, going to, going to tell, tell everyone to uh, yeah. see it. That, that does bring us to uh, kind of the, another a part of this is that Amazon uh, launched Amazon Prime Video Cinema to where you can rent these new releases. And these new releases are, they come at a premium because they're yeah. a brand new film. And I, I, I we were going to watch one and then it was a yeah. little bit too too much for our taste. But they're right. about $18, 18 to $20 uh, for a new rental, which is a steep price, but it's a new, it's for a brand new film uh, and like, there wasn't any, anything coming out, but if it was something, um, you know, that I really wanted to see, I would probably be fine with that. Yeah, we that was something we had talked about for this episode when we were trying to figure out what we were going to watch in response to all of this. Uh, and, and Amazon Prime had announced their Prime Cinema Video, right? Uh, Prime yeah. Video Cinema, excuse me. P- PVC, of course. Uh, they've got four films currently featured on there. The movies are The Invisible Man, Onward, The Hunt, and uh, I don't remember the last one. Uh, Trolls World Tour, maybe? I'm not even sure. That's that, sounds, that sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, each one is featured as, I think, yeah, 18 to $20. You can rent it for 48 hours. Well, I think you can run it for seven days. Once you hit play, you have 48 hours to finish watching it before it vanishes. I read somewhere you can't rewind and fast forward. Because it has to be Oof. one clean playthrough. I don't. I don't know if that's confirmed. So don't don't quote me on that. I could be wrong. Do your own research. But they definitely have to have some kind of funny restrictions around these theatrical yeah, releases. You, Most you, of all, price. Yeah, you you only you only have forty eight hours. To, you have a forty eight hour window to watch it. Which it, which is normal for most rentals. Um, just to to show you what's on here. Um, Onward, uh, which is under uh, in theater purchase. Birds of Prey bloodshot uh the way back and these are movies i think that actually the bloodshot actually did come out this past week um the hunt um and emma which we yes uh, reviewed on the show right so since we since i was looking at this article yeah they added birds of prey the way back and uh, bloodshot emma was on there the trolls world tour is not excuse me emma also not too shabby uh pretty pretty fun movie but um man (laughs) So why are they charging like 20 bucks ahead for what would normally be like $8 in the theater? Can you I mean, just run that by people? I mean, I think it's just, it's the, it's the premium price for a big new release, you know? Right. Uh, Cause usually when something comes out to rent, well, it's been in theater. So most people have had a chance to see it. This it's more. Ex- so I think this way it's just, it's more exclusive. Yeah. It's more, you know, it's hot new content. So there, there's a, there's a price on it. And while something like the hunt, I wouldn't pay for, you know, other big, like, you know, if obviously if uh, James Bond was coming out and or they released it on this, this service, I would definitely fork over the $18 to see it. Um, so that's, <laughs> why, what's funny? What no, you sorry. Heard? I just, because we had talked, okay, yeah, I know I said this already, but we, we talked about what, using this service to watch a movie for this show. We were going to watch The Hunt because the time, the only four movies on there were Onward, Emma, uh, The Invisible Man, and The Hunt. And the one we hadn't seen for the show was The Hunt. And we were like, let's watch that. And then we realized it was, you know, $20. And we decided, well, that's a premium price. And The Hunt is not a premium film. So we decided not <laughs> yes. to watch it. So I'm sorry. Our snobbery I, got the best. I of, wanted people to know we could have watched The Hunt for this, but we were not willing to pay $20 a piece to do it. That would have been 40 bucks. That's a steep we not, price. That's a steep we will price. not negotiate with, with cinema quality <laughs> streaming services uh, in times of quarantine. So yeah. it's price gouging, by God. I thought that was illegal right now. That's right. Yeah. 
Um, but this, this is huge. And of course, uh, Disney Plus is also, uh, like you said, Frozen 2 became available on Disney Plus about a month ahead of when it was going to be released on there. So this is somewhat of a blessing for the streaming services because Disney was really struggling with some of their, like they didn't have a lot of new content or weren't going to have a lot of new content until the fall, but because they're able to pull some of this stuff and throw it straight on streaming, that's helping their service. I'd, and I'd be interested to see how many more people are signing up for some of these streaming services during this time. Yeah, I'd be interested as well. Um, you know, it's funny. Um, one of the one of the things we had talked about doing for next week, and I guess this is just peek behind what we're getting into later. Um, people have been coming up with ways to kind of enjoy streaming services together uh, from the comfort of your own home. We were looking at a service called Netflix Party which is just on www.netflixparty.com, which enables you to sign in on a Google Chrome browser. It only works in Chrome uh, and start watching a Netflix movie and then invite other people to watch it with you and they can jump in and it'll sync up your Netflix and their Netflix. So you're both watching the same movie at the same time. There's a little chat room you can chat on. And I think we're going to watch a movie for that next week and we'll get to that at the end of the show. But I'm definitely interested in seeing how these services are being kind of combined and rolled and, and, and really expanded upon in times of crisis, right? That's how business grows. That's, that's capitalism. Mm-hmm. So I've also been interested to see uh, that uh, film festivals are shutting down. Uh, can has been moved back or con mm-hmm. if you're into the boldest of bold cinema uh, that has been pushed back South by Southwest was canceled earlier this month with devastated a bunch of independent filmmakers. Tribeca film festival was canceled. All of these places that are giving out awards and nominations and and bringing bold cinema to the front of this up to the front of the line when it comes down to Oscar season at the end of the year, all are off the board now. Like we're 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 in uncharted waters here. This has never happened before. Uh, it's some wild stuff. Yeah, absolutely. These um, well, and and one of the things I saw was, well, what do we need South by Southwest? No. You know, and that, yeah, exactly. I mean, that, and this has happened to some other industries like E3, the big gaming conference, the thing as well. You know, most people had pulled out of that conference. Why are we still even having it? Because it's been canceled as well. Um, there are, I mean, I w- like there are the big film fest- festivals like Cannes or Tribeca or Sundance, uh, some of those other w- ones aren't going to be going anywhere. But, you know, something like South, South by Southwest may have taken a big enough hit where it may not be back. Yeah. I saw an article earlier today. I, I wish I could find it now to talk about it, but uh, just a brief byline. Uh, apparently, movie theaters are reporting like zero box office revenue, which has never happened before ever in the history of box offices. Yeah, yeah. When you're look when you're looking at making like a hundred million a weekend in the within the industry, you know, generally probably more than that. Um, to go from that to zero is just it's 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 a, it's insane and especially sure. last year was i think the biggest year in cinema yeah well i mean in, well, in my humble opinion it was but yeah no well, I, I, well, I mean, objectively in, it might have been yes yeah well i mean price wise like right. earnings wise earnings wise and and it's also important to look at the larger picture outside of just when movies come back how this is going to push back other things because you can't have eight movies all come out on the same weekend right like nobody's going to make enough money top gun maverick will likely get pushed back christopher nolan's new movie tenet might get pushed back like we're not even sure how how the ripples are going to affect are going to affect other things here um and that's really really a bummer uh so yeah yeah, so this is what what's happening, and like you said, the, the you can push things back, but also you 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 have a larger release calendar, and so you know, does everything get pushed back, or you know, you ha- you have to work, you then start worrying about crowding uh, different different weekends, and so I think a lot of this stuff will end up on streaming. It's just it's going to be fodder. Uh, I saw something um, that's going to Netflix that was going to be released. It was the rom kind of rom-com caper with the one with Camille, Camille Nanjiani and Tiffany Haddish or no, it wasn't Tiffany Haddish. Was oh, another, uh, Janelle Monae, right? No, no, no. Uh, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> let's I know stop, let's stop guessing, but just, but just keep <laughs> talking. And I'll, I'll look it up. It's fine. Yeah. Anyways, that movie was about to come out. Uh, I think in April 3rd or maybe the 10th, uh, didn't look particularly good. It's already been sold to Netflix. It's going to be coming out on Netflix next week. I think. The Lovebirds with Issa Rae. Yes. And Kamal Johnny. Yes. Got it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the movie. Uh, kind of a fun, charming rom-com. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I, I think movie theater productions are getting pushed back. People can't go shoot movies because you can't go on set because you might get, and you know, you might get sick. Uh, the Matrix Four was pushed back, and that was happening. In case you didn't know, watch out! They're making a new Matrix movie. The Avatar movies are getting pushed back, which is hilarious, um, but also a little bit of a bummer uh, because they can't film in New Zealand. That's those those are going to be. It's going to be twenty years before that comes out. Yeah, seriously, Disney's going to be so deep on those. Um, it's 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 really something. Netflix and Apple have reported they are not shooting anything right now because they they can't uh, stranger things shut down production in the middle of shooting because they were like we can't <laughs> yeah <laughs> we can't keep there is an there's a worldwide pandemic yes so so let's look on the other side of this a little bit when theaters start opening again what do you think is are some strategies theaters can employ to get people in seats i, I think a fine place to look is something like alamo draft house let's start with that retro screenings right Old movies, you know them, you love them, you've been trapped inside, and you can go out and see movies you love in the theater with your popcorn and your soda, preferably at a discounted price. I think that's a fine way to start, and Alamo Drafthouse has been building a business off that. They were they were a huge movie theater contender just last year, and I think coming on the other end of this thing, I think that'll help them. Well, you know, and I think just kind of simple things like cleanliness is going to be a huge deal. Like... All of a sudden, you're going to see everyone wearing gloves, maybe wearing masks is just kind of a, a common thing. This is something I've said to a lot of people is after the 2003 SARS outbreak in, in Asia, it became very common for uh, to wear masks over there. Mm-hmm. Just It just becomes a common part of daily life. You're riding the subway, you're doing anything in a big public place, everyone's wearing masks. And that that's something that may happen here and you know maybe is a good idea, especially in some, somewhere like a theater. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, again, knocking down prices might help a little bit, which I think will be a challenging thing for theaters, right? Um, all these big, big big companies have been making no money, uh, and now they need to probably make a lot of money to keep the lights on and keep playing their landlords where they're renting space and mortgages on their land like that. You know, it costs money to run a business, and they need to make some. So I think to get the people in seats, deals, uh, I'd imagine we'll probably see a rise in subscription services for theaters i hope anyway right maybe some better deals like cinemark's got that stupid one that's like eight bucks and you get one ticket a month or something which doesn't make any sense like you know why not have 10 or unlimited you know just get people to the theater for god's sake get people coming back because in a long enough timeline people are just going to not come back uh yes i I don't know well and i think you know looking towards the positives i i hope this will just allow maybe people to get some more time in bold cinema on, yeah. on, on whether it's uh, online or streaming or, or whatever that the, you know, people are, because you're forced to stay at home, you're forced to, you know, just watch more stuff. And maybe you get into something that you either weren't interested in or didn't have time for, or, or a number of other things, uh, but that you now might be looking to explore. So maybe we get some more cinephiles out of this whole thing. You know, I just, I just realized, uh, I probably should have come correct with this with like a hot list of things you can watch on streaming services to pass the time, good movies. And I don't have that. So maybe next week I'll put something like that together. That would be really cool of me. Um, we'll see if yeah, I, that's what, that's it. what we'll do. We'll, we'll do yeah. uh, our t- like a hot 10 recommendations. Yeah. yeah. I think that'll be, I think the people would appreciate that. And, and really, really quick before we kind of pivot here, cause I think we're, I, 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 starting to run out of steam on this whole thing. Uh, any thoughts on these films that have been pushed back? You surprised by any of these? Are you are you not surprised? You, are there any you think that's just get dumped straight to streaming? Because I definitely think most of them yeah, probably I, should. But you know, I, I don't you, know. there's probably categories. There, there's probably an accountant that has no. They know exactly what a movie is going to make or about. And so, yeah, you have your premium films like you know James Bond, Wonder Woman that are definitely going to only ever have a theatrical release. So they're going to hold those until you know, that they, they have, they can get a full theater's worth of, of weekend. But then you have, you know, the cheap stuff, like I said, the, uh, the lovebirds, which is already bought by Netflix and you have a whole lot of stuff there. And then you got a stuff that's, I think the hardest decisions are the stuff in the middle. It's like, it's the mid budget, like 30 to $40 million film where it's like, well, this could be a hit or it could be a flop. You know, do we sell it to Netflix or do we promote it a little bit more? It's, it's, it's going to be an interesting and it's like, uh, it's going to be impossible to predict. You know, yeah. it, like things could take longer. They could, t- you know, we could we could hit May and things could be good or we could hit June. And, you know, as soon as everyone has a green light to get 
back together, you know, that'll be a diff- whole different thing. Everyone's going to be racing to get their movies back in theater. Right. Uh, one thing's for sure. It's a scramble. I mean, looking at Wonder Woman 1984, that's getting pushed back two months. That's like 60 days. I, it might get pushed back further, but that's currently where they're at. Meanwhile, James Bond, No Time to Die, got pushed back seven months. Like, it's it's like just everybody's operating on their own kind of ideologies here. Everybody's paddling their own canoe. I, I, I am really impressed by movies like Vivarium, uh, Vivarium, like you said, the, the Jesse Eisenberg image and Poots independent film that just straight up canceled their March 27th release all right out. And they were like, it's just coming out on streaming services. It's fine. We're just, <laughs> just going to put it on there. Don't worry about going to see it in a theater. Like I, I think I'm, I, I think a lot of movies like that, I I'm surprised by the new mutants not doing that. That seems to be, I don't know. I, I don't think, I think they they're, they're determined to put that yeah. movie in a theater. The new, it was originally supposed to come out April, 2020. Now it's just unspecified. So I think maybe they'll just, I, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do, but I, I, I don't know, man. Every, everybody's, everybody's scrambling to figure out a strategy here. And I don't think anybody really has a solid one. No, yet, is no, so. no one knows what they're doing. Everyone's Nobody just, knows what they're doing. just trying to get by. It's the secret to being an adult. Nobody, nobody knows. We're all, we're all just children steering around big bodies. And with that, any other thoughts on this one before we we move on to our movie? I realize it's going to be kind of a short episode this week, but I, I we had to we had to spend some time screwing down on this, especially because we weren't on last week, right? Yeah. Um, no, I I think uh, we'll just have to wait and see what happens. There's already been a lot of changes just in the last, I mean, two three weeks, massive changes in the entertainment industry. So more to come yep stay tuned keep it here on off script for more and with that we should move on to our only film of the episode apologies uh who, who wants to take the summer for this andy you you've seen it before at least <laughs> yeah, do you I, mind I, I'll, I, yeah i'll do it i'll do it all right perfect uh andy please take it away good fellas So we decided to uh, kind of look at what was on Netflix, and uh, we decided to go back to a Martin Scorsese classic, Goodfellas, his 1990 film starring Ray Liotta, Robert De Niro, and Joe Pesci, uh, which chronicles the life of mobster Henry Hill um, growing up in, in the mob in the 50s and kind of chronicling his life over the next 25 years. Um, in in that uh, in that realm and kind kind of the uh, the heyday of, of the American gangster, um, we meet Henry when he's 15 and he he first start, starts start out starts out as like an errand boy, um, and he he gets exposed to this life. He sees the the suits, the fancy cars, the women, the the money, and just like and the, the kind of attitude these guys have, you know, like they're 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 mean they're violent they they don't take any crap from anyone um and they you know they're criminals that's that's what they do that's how they make their money and he eventually gets sucked in and works his way up through the organization becomes a very important part of the, the crime family and you know and gets involved in that lifestyle so it's it's a look back into kind of the the 60s and 70s golden age of of uh, these people um, it also touches on a number of other themes of family and uh, crime and lifestyle there's a lot go- going on brilliant soundtrack um, and I hadn't seen this in a long time so it was nice to revisit it so Zach what did you think of Goodfellas well it, it was my first time watching it and I know that seems hard to believe <laughs> I've seen some sequences from it on a number of occasions right. uh, namely when you said hey what do you think about watching Goodfellas I said well it's definitely a movie I want to watch uh, I've never seen the whole thing all the way through I've seen the Copacabana entrance scene when uh, Henry Hill is taking his his lovely uh, future wife uh, Katie right K- Karen, Karen into excuse me yeah I, I actually just finished watching it like two hours ago you'd think I'd remember this uh, Karen into uh, the Copacabana on the first real date and how he kind of leads her past the line and through the kitchen and all these people he knows he's handing money to everybody the whole time the music's going it's this beautiful one shot take and I remember watching it back in film school as, as a great example of like what you can do with a one shot um, no cutaway kind of film experience uh, additionally um not that this background's required, but the, the the scene where they're cutting garlic in prison, right? And they're uh-huh. cutting it with razor blades. I've seen that a couple of times. Um, this movie has some kind of cultural impact. At some point, you have seen a poster for Goodfellas. You have seen a gag that is reminiscent of Goodfellas or paying homage to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's you haven't quoted seen the film, heavily. It's quoted heavily, and it's it's 
it's attributed to heavily, I think, in films that have come, especially in Scorsese's work. Uh, the story of a young, up-and-coming kid in the past who was like, man, those were the days. We had it made. And then it gets too big and things go wrong and you look back thinking, what was it all for? That's that's a tale as old as time for Martin Scorsese. And this movie really feels like the first time he kind of screwed down and got it right. And it feels like something he's been building upon ever since. Um, I I was I had a lot of fun watching the movie. It was it's a little dry and a little outdated. There's some there's some terms thrown around in this movie. Some some words for people of maybe different colors or religion that are not all right. And it was an old movie, so you kind of just gotta roll your eyes at it, and move mm-hmm. on. But uh, ultimately, it's it's a fun ride, and it's it's a little clumsy. It's not quite as tight as I think Scorsese is now. But it's a lot of fun to watch, and I had a really good time watching it. So, we should get into it. Uh, what's the best place to start here, Andy? Oh, geez. <laughs> um, th- there's so much to take on. It is a large movie. Um, why don't we we talk about this overarching plot? Um, so, part of the reason that this movie is so well-known is it's, it really... It's been accused of idolizing like the lives of crime, of being a gangster. And, you know, I think it kind of has the... Um, a little bit of the fight club problem where, you know, people get the wrong message out of it. And I think I did too for, for a long time upon watching it this most recent time. When you watch these things as a full fledged adult, you realize how many things are really terrible. Like there's, yes, there's the money. Yes. There's the glamor. Yes. There's all the, the, you know, they have all this expensive stuff. Um, but it, it comes at, at a high cost. You know, these are really violent guys. They have to do really terrible things. Um, but sorry, I'm getting off track. No pl- pl- plot. So we start. We start with we start with Henry yeah. Henry Hill, young, exposed to the, uh, lot, the you know the mob life of crime. Slowly gets into it himself, and the the first third of the film is all about the glamour, and it it and it it's just done so well. Just the you know because he is looking back. He was like you know the, these guys they. No, no one parked in their spot. No one, they didn't have to wait in line. You know, they gave a they gave a hundred dollars just to the guy, the door guy for holding the door. So it's just like these drooling over this lifestyle and wanting to be, you know, the, this kind of um, uh, person. But it's like I said, it's it's also incredibly violent. Uh, to me, this movie is written so tight. Particularly the first act, the first half is so tight. The way it go, it, we just get drawn into the world and we meet Henry Hill and we meet and we eventually meet his, his associates, uh, Jimmy Conway and, uh, Tommy DeVito played by uh, Joe Pesci and, and Robert De Niro. Uh, you know, just the way different characters are introduced, the way, uh, Karen's introduced. It's great. Cause she gets in, introduced in kind of this double date sequence. And then she eventually just takes over the monologue herself. And it's such a smooth, uh, transition. It's really impressive. Yeah, it, it really is. And, and I think the movie is, a lot like The Irishman or The Wolf of Wall Street or or oh god I'm I'm thinking of another one of him that's very similar to Goodfellas but I can't quite put my finger on it. it like it seems to be strongest in first and third act and that's how I felt about this movie the setup and the payoff like the middle it sags a little bit and that's okay um once we get a kind of move from child actor Henry Hill to full fledged Ray Liotta playing Henry Hill, he starts going out with girls, he's got a nice car, he doesn't put up with, with you know, his dad giving him beatings on the daily. Uh, you start to get into some kind of exciting developments. Yeah, Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro show up, they're all buddy-buddy, they're all having a good time. Joe Pesci's a little too 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 hot for oh, teacher. He's a loose he, cannon. The yeah, loose he, he starts cannon. blowing people's heads off, and everybody's kind of cool with it, but not really, and... Then they start swapping drugs and people go to prison and it's like, okay, you start to see the wheels come off in act two a little bit, but it's that transition from stable illegal crime to unstable illegal crime that's really tough to nail down. And and by act three, when our character has started to learn his lesson and is starting to realize, hmm, maybe this isn't for me so much anymore and I should try to get out of this thing I'm far too deep in. Uh, it, it's it's ultimately a little too late, and and I think that's a good lesson, man. It's something Scorsese just bounced back on time and time again, and it works. It is his bread and butter. He loves it. He uses his favorite actors. He uses <laughs> his favorite storylines. Like man, th- those are the days back in the old country. Like whatever. Like that's that's well, that's his thing, and it works. You know, and and it's um 
when you look at the character uh, that Joe Pesci plays in this movie and then compared to the Irishman, like you get why, like it's so different because, because Tommy DeVito is, I mean, he's a loose cannon. Like he just, he shoots people, he hurts people, he kills people just like at a whim. You know, there's this whole thing about honor and, you know, being, being insulted and how you look and appearances. And um, he's just, I think he, he won an Oscar for this role, I think. Um so it's just just incredible, but you know what I what I kind of got through this newest viewing is like, you know, Karen, we get to know Karen a lot, a lot uh, played by Lorraine Bracco, mm-hmm. um, who would later go on to in a recurring role in the Sopranos. I feel like a handful of people in this movie were in the Sopranos. Yeah, but it's basically that the whole cast. But anyways, yes. yeah, uh, you know she. There's so many times where she's in this relationship, which is clearly very toxic. Um, you know, and there's so many red flags and she's just like, Oh no, it's no big deal. You know, like here, like he asked, for I that. still loved him. Yeah, yeah. Well, she's like, I, yeah. you know, I asked like my, my husband cheats on me. My husband stays out all night. He, uh, you know, he's very violent. He, had, I had to hide this gun because he beat this guy like half to death with across the street, you know? And she's like, you know, there's these things that are just huge red flags and they just, you know, she's like, Oh, you know, it's no big deal. We all do all the, all the mob wives deal with it. You know, she, he talks about their home home being searched, um, by the cops. And she's like, Oh yeah, it's just, it's just normal. It's, it's no big deal. And, and look as an adult, you're like, Oh my God, <laughs> that would, it yeah. would take that happening once. And that would be, be kind of it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it's an interesting kind of diversion from Henry's story. Something I didn't expect. Cause it doesn't happen in his other films. Like to have, some other character take up the reins of the narrative for a minute and step away from Ray Liotta's character, Henry Hill and say, okay, for, for just this chunk of the first act, it's going to be from the, from the girlfriend's perspective. It's weird. And Scorsese hasn't done it since. I don't think. And I don't know if it's because he didn't feel like it worked. It didn't work or what, but as watching it, it feels a little clumsy to me. I appreciated it, but I was just kind of confused by the end. I didn't understand. I'm like, why would she still be with him though? Like, why would she still... Because she's attracted to him? Neat. But, like, what the hell's wrong with I you? Mean, it, you? I mean, know? it's a totally, like, you know, toxic, codependent relationship. Like it's Yeah, and it's not... I don't think it's quite fleshed out enough. You know, but but that's one of those things. It's like, this is clearly not a healthy, normal relationship. And, you know, if you're... A, a lot of this movie is saying, like, all this stuff was bad. You know, yeah. as much as people want to glamorize certain parts of it, it was all terrible and just like the Irish, like when we watch the irishman and half the people you know have a, have like a death timestamp next to their name of when they were killed or when they died we get a lot of that in this movie too like there's kind of live by the sword died by the sword uh mentality that happens here even with our most like ferocious characters they're, they're not exempt from that sure and of course it doesn't start that way right it starts innocent i i was i was parking cadillacs for the guy who ran the taxi company that was my job. Yeah. And by the end, you're shooting people in the face and you're wondering, how did I get here? And, and it, like, it's, it's, it feels a little insensitive on our, on our, of a, an insensitive look at our main character, Henry, because stepping away from him for, for a little while and, and just getting it from his wife, Karen's perspective, and then stepping back into his shoes, like, he just kind of seems like a bit of a stranger. You don't really get in his head too much. You know, uh-huh. you don't understand why he's having multiple affairs or murdering people like you don't really get that from him he's just like this is the way it was yeah, i was living like a movie star i was i was going and blowing that was my thing like, I, I don't know yeah it's so straightforward because it's you know he, they say you know saturday night was for the wives but friday was for the girlfriends and it was just like that's just how it was and everyone accepted it yeah you know sort of uh karen definitely has a big problem when she finds out about uh henry's uh girlfriends yeah, girlfriend, multiple girlfriends. Yeah, as she's smuggling things into prison for him. So that was, that was exciting. But it's a bit of a roller coaster, right? That's what these movies are supposed to be. It's it's a ride, and I think that's most reflected in the ending when we get some kind of fourth wall. Well, just genuinely fourth wall breaking moments. Ending, of course, with um, Pesci shooting at the camera, just like the Great Train Robbery. That really, really, really old black and white movie. It's it's a moment where you're supposed to look back at yourself and understand. By seeing the image of Pesci, Joe Pesci shooting at us, the audience, we're supposed to understand that we have been complicit in what we've been seeing. We've been enjoying it like Henry enjoyed it, right? Mm-hmm. You you liked this stuff just as much as he did because you watched the whole movie. Um, and that's that's kind of that's kind of where it ends. That's that's the note it ends on is like 
Well, here here we all are, right? Welcome to America, where where not only is this stuff not okay, but people like doing it, and damn it, we like watching it. Mm-hmm. And that's a bummer, I guess. And it's kind of it's similar to The Irishman, right? That's that's a similar ending, I think. Definitely similar to Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, yeah, and I th- I think what what um, what I kind of get from from this ending is you know. He- what Henry Hill says towards the end is, you know, he what he missed the most was the lifestyle. He was like, you know, I felt like I, you know, he was in danger of being executed. And he was like, I might as well have been because now I got to live like a schmuck. I got to, you know, do a crappy nine to five and, you know, mow my lawn and wait in yeah. line. And, you know, they they missed, uh, yeah, the movie stars that, right. that they kind of were. But you have a pulse. Bummer, right? Yeah. yeah. There's there's light in your eyes. That that sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's 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 a bit of a cautionary tale. Um, you know, it's funny. I part of why I thought it was so cool to watch this movie is because just last week I watched Wolf of Wall Street again. I I love that movie. As my favorite movie of I think 2013, it came out. Um, I thought that movie was so cool. And and. Uh, a lot of people don't feel that way. It's it's a movie about absolute excess, right? Mm-hmm. Which is what this movie is. That Wolf of Wall Street does a better job of showing that, I think, of of the the cocaine and the hookers and the partying and the the constant do what you want lifestyle and it doesn't matter who gets screwed. I think Wolf of Wall Street's a little bit more focused on that angle of it, but this movie tries it. It tries to say multiple times, we were doing what we wanted, we were laughing, we were having fun. As Joe Pesci is like shooting a kid in the foot, people are like laughing at the poker table. Like, yeah. There's there's just not a whole lot of like step back and realize where we're at um, self-awareness in these movies. But that's that's what these are. Right. That's that's why you watch these movies, because it's about the excess and the lifestyle. Yeah. And I think it's also, um, you know, important to remember that it's 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 about the excess of the 60s and 70s, you know, which was completely different from what was possible in like the 90s, which is what uh, Wolf of Wall Wall Street. And then, you know, you mentioned, you know, it uses some really like outdated language you know it's an old movie but it's an old movie about an even older time mm-hmm. like you know if you look back it would be like if goodfellas would na- were made now would be about 1985 yeah. to, to 2010 or around mm-hmm. then you know those 25 years so it's 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 crazy to think that's what it, it's it's covering yep and speaking of speaking of old school that reminds me this movie stars samuel jackson which I did not expect. <laughs> yes, yes. He, he has like his two earth. lines. Yeah, it's he barely speaks. You do not get any. I mean, you can hardly tell it's him. But yeah, it's, he, he it's looks him. he looks really small. Yeah, that, that's right. Um, man, I, I also want to men- mention. I feel like this movie has one of the best soundtracks. Or sound- oh, it's real good soundtrack yeah. usage of of any movie. Yes, it's very tight. Like it's got this retro soundtrack that just bounces back and forth. And by the time you get to the third act when you're seeing uh, mob mobster corpses turning up to Eric Clapton's Layla. You're like so into the movie. Oh man. Yeah, definitely. I was thinking about that when I was watching it. I was like, I got to find one of these tracks and use it to intro the movie on the episode. Like I, I, yeah. I'll, I'll come up you, with something. I haven't done it yet, but, but by the time you hear this, you'll know I made it. The most, um, yeah, I, I think my favorite sequence or use of music is, is kind of right after the, the, uh, Lufthansa, they they say Latanza, they say it wrong, which yeah. is another kind of thing. But the Lufthansa heist, um, and and they they focus on Robert De Niro's character, and they have um, is it Eric? Who, whoever plays Cream is the song. Um, uh, oh yeah 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 yeah. Um, oh God. That might be Eric Clapton actually. Here, whoever no, the band it's was, Cream. Yeah, I think it's Cream. Right. That's cream. Anyways, that like that is such an iconic sequence there of that because everything starts to really go downhill kind of after that moment. But it's just it's a cool, it's a long slow shot. Uh, De Niro's, you know, he's got his hair slicked back. He's smoking. He's you know he's kind of talking with guys and he's this is when he's kind of planning to off a bunch of guys so he can yep. keep more of the money for himself. Yeah, and it's such a cool shot because it just hangs on his face for a while. And and while I was watching, I was like, what is he thinking about? Like what's what's supposed to be going on in his character's head, and then it's explained by Henry Hill moments later. Like he was thinking about often people. That's what's going on. It's this great moment of mystery, and you just got this this very modern soundtrack kicking in on a very nostalgic film. Um, same thing happens in uh, 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 Wall Street. He, he uses Scorsese uses the Foo Fighters in a couple of scenes, which is really odd for for when the movie is supposed to be set, which is late eighties, early nineties. Those those songs weren't even out yet, but Scorsese's got that that very unique editing style where he's not afraid to cut to something for lack of continuity. 
or freeze frame on stuff or have titles come up on screen or use music that's not appropriate for the time period. It, it's very gorilla. And I think that makes these movies feel a lot more personal, right? It's, it's, it's like, it's almost like film school. It's a bit more mm. like uh, under the table. I don't know. So, yeah, but you're right. The soundtrack is, is outstanding. Uh, let's talk performances. Mm. Let's please take it away. Um, so obviously despite Ray Liotta being the main character, he's probably the driest character in, in the film. Um, he, he does get, get some good, uh, scenes, but, uh, Joe Pesci as, uh, the, like I said, loose cannon, Tommy DeVito's in, incredible, a very iconic role and kind of how he got part of his reputation of being that kind of character. Um, obviously Robert De Niro gets, gets some, you know, he's, he's done the gangster thing before. So it's just more of that. And then, uh, Lorraine Bracco as, as, uh, Karen Hill, his wife, um, incredible performances. Well, I think she may have been nominated or possibly won. I'm going to look up awards. Go, go ahead, Zach. No, I, I was going to say Ray Liotta has the, <sighs> I don't want to say it was a bad, performance i really don't because i don't think his performance is bad but it's definitely dry like you just never really get into any kind of sincere moment with his character and i think he's playing him as a stern stiff kind of guy but to hear karen his wife explain in her voiceover in the first act like he's so caring and nice and he knew everybody and he was slick and he was confident and like i just don't quite get that from Ray Liotta in this movie. Like, he doesn't quite fit where he's supposed to. You can tell Scorsese likes De Niro and Pesci a lot. I mean, look at how much he's worked with them since. He loves those guys. He loves those guys. And look at how he's worked with somebody like Leonardo DiCaprio. Like, Scorsese's the kind of guy who finds his actors and just hangs on to them. And he just did not hang on to Ray Liotta at all. Mm-hmm. Like, he just didn't. This, this was Ray Liotta's biggest movie, unless you count Marriage Story. Ha ha. Yeah. Uh, well, and so, what's funny is he's done a yeah. couple of other, uh, I don't know if you've seen, uh, I think it was 2007 or 2009's uh, Killing Me Softly with Brad Pitt, uh, Ray Liotta's no. in that. And it's another, it's like a Louisiana gangster thing, but it's like old washed up gangsters. It's it's really good. Highly recommend um, I, I was mentioning awards. Joe, uh, Joe Pesci won Best Actor in Supporting Role. Um, and then there were a number of nominations. It was nominated for Best Picture. Lorraine Bracco was nominated for Best Actress in Supporting Role, Best Director, Best Writing, Best Film Editing. Oh, well, I mean, it definitely dev- it definitely got somewhere. Do you know uh, what it lost to? It lost to Dances of Wolves, which I have never seen. So I, <laughs> so I can't judge it. So, but, but but no one. But it is does not have the cultural impact. Like I don't know. I've never seen a scene from Dances with Wolves. I'm, I don't know anyone who. I've never heard it quoted. Like how that one is just beyond. Is everybody streaming Dances with Wolves? Can we watch that for next week? I'm sure. <laughs> oh, God, uh, know, it's, it's like fine. three hours long. I think. Yeah. Oh, this one was two and a half. So yeah. Uh, and the Lorraine Bracco is really good, even though she has a very kind of offbeat role. But like she just she plays her role, I think, better than Ray Ray Liotta does, which is a really strange thing. Um, I love the way they age actors up in this movie, right? Uh, It looks like, even though he doesn't, uh, it looks like De Niro puts on a little weight. He definitely, his hair gets grayer. And I think the way they did that is maybe they just like upped his suit size a little bit, just made him kind of hunch over a little bit more, make him look a little, bring his neck in a little bit, make him look a little bigger. But he feels progressively a little older. Meanwhile, Ray Liotta in one scene with his girlfriend is express explained very early that he's supposed to be 21 years old and the man looks 40. <laughs> yeah. He it's looks like, really old. You don't even look like I, I was watching with Christine and she was like, he's supposed to be how old? Like that's absurd. Like it's not even close, but I can appreciate aging actors up versus watching the Irishman and aging actors down. And it really does highlight like De Niro and Pesci's, uh, younger days, um, in comparison to what I've seen since. Cause I had not seen this when I saw that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, like I said, it's an interesting comparison to his kind of gangster uh, pantheon, and I and I think where the Irishman kind of differs from this is the Irishman definitely leaves out the glamorous part of of the gangster lifestyle. It's very much only focuses on the dark side, and uh, I can't remember what who's the Irishman's name. I can't remember his name now. Um, the I character that, that Robert De Niro plays, but he's you know he's only just kind of a normal middle class guy, and he's that way the kind of the whole time, and it's 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 very you know sad ending of of how these guys kind of ended up. Mm-hmm. So I guess to just kind of bring this thing full circle, um, De Niro making these movies uh, are, are these 
bad movies? Uh, let me rephrase that. Not bad movies. They're well-made films. Are, are they... Is a movie about excess like this a bad thing? Because I know these movies often get get rapped for that. They're just like, oh, these movies are, are glorifying murder and, and drug usage. And the, these are bad, right? I, I don't think that's what these movies are doing. But what do you, what do you think? It, you know, I, I think definitely when I was younger, I, pro- I definitely got the wrong message from these because I remember just the, I just remember the cool stuff the cool gangster stuff um, but just like Fight Club yeah when I see it now as a you know full-fledged adult I, I see there's just so many red flags all from the beginning like there's so much violence like that's the only way that they keep this and, and you know everything they're doing is illegal and they they pay for it you know they pay for it in relationships they pay for it in jail time the, um, th- that is kind of downplayed because it, it, jail is it seemed as pretty glamorous in this film you know they have their own wing they they eat a two-course meal every night you know it's it's very uh doesn't seem to be a real hard time but it is still you know lots of people die uh, mm-hmm. lots of people, there's, there's lots of an incredible violence and just like, you know, you could get, you could get whacked at any, uh, at any second, you know, you could, mm-hmm. you could upset the wrong person over nothing and, and you're getting shot out in the back of an alley. Yeah. Like I said, I, I, I think often of wall street, Wolf of wall street when I, when I think of a movie like this or the Irishman, because that's my favorite of those movies so far, but yeah, these movies are not. <laughs> they're they're not glorifying these things they're criticizing them yeah it might seem like because you're watching a movie about a guy who manages to navigate the waters of the mafia and come out relatively un like not dead is is like a, a tale of heroism but like henry hill is not a hero nobody in this movie is a hero like these are not good guys they are bad people doing bad things and like just because they're having a fun time doing it at the time it, like it doesn't mean it's good and like that's kind of the point and and i think if you can step back and appreciate it that way you know maybe you can have a little fun watching because i man i had a fun watching wolf of wall street and i had fun watching this movie yeah and, I, and they're heavy stuff yeah exactly and you you know there's a reason why these people do the you know, live this lifestyle that they like it. They enjoy it. There is something to be enjoyed. You know, it doesn't mean it's a a positive thing, but there is an enjoyment, a hedonistic aspect to it. And and we see that in, in the movie and, and how they eat and how they live, how they dress, how they, the homes they live in, the cars, they, you know, I, that the famous, uh, Coco Cabana scene, Copa Cabana scene, uh, you know, they walk in, there's this long line outside and Henry takes Karen in through some back entrance, pays like three doormen and then gets a, a private table at the very front. You know, and everyone knows him and everyone wants to shake his hand. And, you know, she's immediately swept away by this. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I don't know. I, I just, I think it's a really sharp movie, and, and it's got problems. Definitely, uh, we you know we didn't talk about the editing a whole lot, but the editing is definitely clumsy. Like I, I, I think the acting could probably be fleshed out a little bit, but for for some relatively, at the time, middle of the road work for for Scorsese, like there's a reason this movie has the impact it has. There's a reason people remember it so well. You know, um, I, I I think it's pretty sharp. I guess so. With that being said, Andy, would you recommend Goodfellas? Oh, absolutely. It's a Scorsese classic. Um, you know, one of the best performances from Joe Pesci, Robert De Niro, and of course, Lorraine Bracco. Ray Liotta's center character, but it's somehow, like you said, uh, a little dry. But it's it has so many classic scenes and lines and soundtrack. And it's it's a must-see. And it's like, in this trying time, it's available on Netflix. And uh, if you have a subscription, you can see it and you can try to see it with a, a friend. Yes, in this trying time, it is available on Netflix. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I, I would recommend it. I, I really enjoyed it. I'll probably watch it again at some point in my life, I'm sure. Um, it's a really sharp movie. I get I get why it's got the praise it has. It totally deserves it. Um, it really sets the groundwork for like what Scorsese would continue to do throughout his career. And like it's really... I need to go back and watch The Irishman again because I feel like these two would make such a brilliant double feature, just watching one after the other, even though they're both three hours long. Um, they're real sharp and I had a really good time watching it. So solid suggestion, Andy, in no way related to coronavirus, but maybe <laughs> a welcome, maybe a welcome uh, reprieve for your mind for just a minute. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. So go ahead and find it on Netflix. If you can give it a watch. And with that, we should wrap the show. A bit of a short show this week, but that's only because... Oh, actually, no, it's about, it's about it's normal about running that, time. normal running. Who yeah. am I kidding? You've been yeah. rambling for a while. We did it. Yeah, perfect. Uh, you know, Stay in, I guess. Wash your hands. That's the tip. Uh, Listen to more podcasts. And if you get the chance, subscribe to Offscript Cinema. 
Off script, bold cinema. Off script podcast, the home of bold <laughs> Both cinema. cinema. My God. Get your friends to subscribe, right? Rate and review. Share it on Facebook. How rad would that be? I should probably, I don't know. I'm sure there's a bit of this quarantine stuff we can probably clip out and share on Facebook just by itself because I think it's really, really good content. And if you thought it was really good content too, rate and review. Throw us five stars if you can swing it. Not 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 four or three or two and definitely not one. Uh, and any tell us what you thought of the show. Email us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. We're on all that social media stuff. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You, we're, we're on we're on YouTube. You, you can hit us up there. But if there's anything you can do for the show, just subscribe or tell a friend or tell us <laughs> what you thought of the show. That means a lot, too. Oh, just telling gosh. us, hey, I listened to the show. I know. I'm going overboard here. Ne- next I, week. Next <laughs> week on the show. Man, I'm going stir crazy. I gotta, I gotta get out and take a walk. Uh, with with my hazmat suit on. Next week we're watching Jojo Rabbit. Yes, the Taika Waititi film about a young, up and coming Nazi. Uh, a dark. Uh, I don't think it's a dark comedy. Uh, also starring Scarlett Johansson and Taika Waititi himself. Uh, is on Amazon Prime. We're gonna rent it. It is a rental. We can't find it streaming anywhere. But I really want to watch it. And I think. Hear me out. I think a humorous spin on a non-humorous time might be good now. I think that might Absolutely. be an encouraging thing. And we're also, we're going to try out that Netflix party thing. Netflixparty.com. Yes, we're going to watch Drive. Nicholas Winding Refn's new, not new, uh, 2013. <laughs> 11. 11. Oh, my God. Uh, 2011 thriller starring my boy Ryan Gosling. We're going to watch that. We're going to watch it on Netflix Party. Hopefully we'll, you know, chat in the chat or something about it. And then we'll report back on what we thought. And, of course, we'll talk about Drive as well. So, Jojo Rabbit, Drive, subscribe to the show, rate and review. I think that's all the highlights. Wash your hands. I think I said that already. Yeah. And, uh, you know, don't panic buy, I guess. And with that, uh, we should wrap the episode from all of us off script. The home of Bold Cinema. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening.